Talk Soups and CEOs, the end of Season 1, Episode 31. We talk with Dr. Howard Koenig, retiring from Central Islip Union Free School District on Long Island in New York, about a career in public education. Here we go. CEOs, the end of the first season, the end of our first school year doing a podcast, uh, the end of a just truly bizarre school year that is probably going to be not as bizarre as the next one. Um, thanks for being here. I'm Doug Roberts. I am the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, who publishes this podcast. And um, the sounds in the background are my daughter playing horses upstairs. <laughs> because it's it's the pandemic and we're all doing stuff at home um so you know there you go enjoy the peripheral noise um we are entering into a time that is just it's it's really you know i have the great the great privilege to work with with all these great district leaders and i just you know one of the things that's always impressed me so much you know, name, name the school superintendent. Almost all of them that I know um, are diligent planners, long-range planners. You know, I don't think soups get enough credit for the financial chops that they have to have. They, they, they manage multi-bazillion dollar budgets in some cases. And, you know, <clears throat> you want there are some out there who want to discredit not discredit they want to you know sort of look down on the way districts do business so it's antiquated takes forever um you know they still wear ties to work um they have to do rfps um you know it's it's hard to manage public money um and when you have the public's money in your trust and you have to follow all the rules around transparency and these are these are major major financial undertakings that require really serious long-range planning um, to, to watch this group of folks not be able to plan beyond next Tuesday as to what's going to happen with numbers outbreak in their communities, in their districts, what kind of funding will be there or not be there, um, what kind of CDC regulations do they actually have to follow versus try to follow. Um, I don't know. It's, it's been hard, you know, it's been hard to watch some of my friends and colleagues who are running school districts from our group. Um, you know, it's been tough to watch everybody struggle with this stuff um, and not really be able to help beyond convening discussions. That's, <clears throat> that's what we do, right? We're, we're a think tank. We're a, we're a symposium. We're a convening, um, a conclave, if you will. And so that's, that's how we best know how to help and we'll continue to do so. But um, I think this the idea that the idea that you write a plan now and then you just implement it in September is is not that's that's not really the way it's happening. And here I'm I'm talking to you on <coughs> excuse me on um, July first end of the fiscal academic fiscal was yesterday. Twitter was just blowing up with superintendents yesterday. Some I know, some who I don't know, just frustrated. Uh, 
you know, getting different guidance from different places, getting pressure from various forces in the community or the media to open up, take, you know, get the kids in, get the kids in. The, the piece came out from the American Pediatrics Association, um, advising us all that the mental health um, risks of staying home outweigh the overall health risks of going to school. Um, this is, this is going to be a, a crazy summer and I don't mean, you know, as in, uh, the one crazy summer, 1980s Bobcat Goldthwaite vehicle. Um, <laughs> that's, there's my highbrow, uh, um, film tastes coming out. Um, yeah, this is not a crazy summer in that we're going to be lowering our sunglasses on the boardwalk. Um, <clears throat> we're, uh, this is going to be a crazy summer in public education. It's literally, I don't think right now, standing here today on July 1, any of us knows if all schools will be open, no schools will be open, some schools will be open. We just don't know. We don't know if kids are going to be doing digital instruction, hybrid models. Um, I've just never seen anything like it. I don't, I don't have any anything to say about it beyond I just I wish all of the superintendents out there their corporate partners um, their boards of ed and the families that they serve I wish them creativity and wisdom and strength and you know this is this is a time it's interesting uh, you know I started this talking about how superintendents have to have these kind of major long-range planning fiscal planning skills to run these big budgets you know um, we tend our group tends to have superintendents who who are able to put on a an entrepreneurial kind of hat for a little while and think think like entrepreneurs and then you know think in terms of how they can be entrepreneurial to support their students so you know a, a common IEI discussion is you know because we tend to bring in these companies who no one's ever heard of before so you do these three things i need to do two of those three and then i need to do this other thing and can you work with me, my district, can my team, can my teachers and administrators and students help you build that thing that we need that's adjacent to the other things you already do? And that typically is how partnerships work with our group. A, a new organization can get a shot to work with a district that is ready to roll up their sleeves and help them build the right the right solution. Um, so that's, that's often how, when we talk about our, our members sort of thinking entrepreneurial that, that entrepreneurially that's usually what we're talking about um, but now we're talking about a different kind of entrepreneurial thinking and it's it's the we have to write a different plan every month or every week um, we get stuff thrown at us that we're not expecting kind of entrepreneurial thinking and that's that's a very different there's a sort of um, <clears throat> there's a like a, sort of um, I don't want to use the metaphor for a war, but it's like a, you, you just never know what's going to come at you. You've got to kind of, um, you have to be ready to like a fast twitch mechanism kind of leadership that a lot of entrepreneurs get. They just get used to responding to stuff day in, day out and, you know, cancel all the meetings because we have to now rebuild the flex capacitor because there's a problem with the flex capacitor. That kind of thinking is not necessarily... I mean, superintendents are used to thinking that way for crises, of course, because, you know, you know, really scary, terrible things can happen that, that involve kids' lives and they're going to make quick decisions. But, um, you know, when it comes down to, well, it's uh, Wednesday, by 
Monday, we have to figure out how to get every kid who was currently coming on an AB schedule now has to learn at home because there was a, a positive COVID test or something. I mean, that, um, that kind of thinking is, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. And here's what I want to say to, you know, I want to speak specifically to the investor world in our space. Those who, um, who specifically build, who, who build their business models around avoiding district administrators, you know, going straight to consumer or straight to teachers, because, you know, we think that districts are not, uh, you know, forward thinking enough or not nimble enough or their ways are antiquated. Let's talk, you know, midway through this next school year, because I think you're about to see some school district leaders do some amazing stuff. And I think you're about to see them um, move very quickly and nimbly in a way that, you know, maybe people didn't think was possible before. Um, the fact that, you know, that districts have to operate in, in open air with their business in public um, does tend to slow things down. Maybe it's not the timeline that some venture capital types want, but, um, you know, in, in their way, I think, and, you know, keep your eye out, like, obviously I'm partial to the IEI superintendents. I think they're some of the most amazing people I've ever met, but keep an eye on them and keep an eye on us. Um, and let's, let's see how I think you're going to see some people rise to this challenge and innovate very quickly with, um, you know, that this is going to be like that scene in Apollo 13 where, um, <clears throat> which I understand actually really happened as well. Um, not just in the Hollywood version, this, these, this is everything that they've got aboard that ship, figure out how to get them out. That's, that's, that's a school district this year. And, um, my hat's off to everybody who's, who's diving into that work. My hat's off to people who, um, <clears throat> were thinking about moving on and have decided to stay and help, um, just everybody in public schools, this, you know, let us know how we can help, but we're wishing you Godspeed. And, um, this is going to be a real interesting year. So with that though, we, we will look ahead to next year really quick on the IEI programming note. Um, we will be convening July 24th at the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina with a, with a small group of socially distanced, uh, superintendents and corporate partners to talk through those reopen plans and to open them up and let's and let's open each other up and see how much work we can do around educational equity in revising these plans um, so that we're going to get that group together we'll have about 25 superintendents coming we've got five great sponsors i want to mention them quickly uh sponsors of the in-person conference they are midas education gaggle lightspeed ClassLink, and Hazel Health. I'm really excited to have all those folks with us. Some because of travel restrictions, because where they live may not actually join us in person. Um, but, you know, the outbreak, <laughs> the outbreak in Western North Carolina is, is relatively, uh, relatively low relative to the rest of the state. So we're planning to go forward with that now. There is a virtual <coughs> component to this that is something new we're trying a hybrid, just as our district partners are trying to build hybrid instructional models, we're, build, we're building a hybrid conference and relationship building model with virtual. So we have a, a ton of virtual sponsors, some of whom have confirmed, some of whom we're still confirming. You know, in fairness, we, we didn't realize we needed to have this gathering until a couple months ago when a, when a bunch of our superintendents said, hey, let's try to get together. We want to get together and do some work together this summer. So <laughs> we, we went from that to 
finding the right spot, finding a place that could accommodate us, a small group in a large room. Um, and we're getting ready. We're gearing up for that event. So we'll have a handful of digital, sorry, virtual sponsors using our virtual conferencing software, which is not like spending all day on a Zoom. It is not a webinar. It's interactive. It replicates actual real networking and being in a room together. Um, I'm excited about the virtual portion of this event as much as I am the in-person and seeing all the possibilities that we can unlock in terms of relationship building um, in our space. So uh, the event's free for any educator. Anyone can attend virtually July 24th, 25th. And I think, you know, you don't have to spend all day. We've got, there there are topics in 90 minute blocks. So pick your topic and, and come join us. It's not a, uh, this is not a wallflower. We don't do wallflower events in person or virtual. This is a, there'll be some sharing of data and some sharing of anecdotes and experiences and lessons learned from some, from superintendents and from some of our partners, you know, not sales pitches going deep on the work they're doing to support districts during this time. And then we will talk, we will break into groups. And yes, we have small discussion groups that we can break into on our conference software platform where we will talk and we'll look at plans and we'll offer feedback and insights. We'll have suburban districts talk to each other, urban, rural, and then we'll come back together. We'll capture the lessons learned and IEI will develop our blueprint recommendations for how to optimize your plans around equitable and structural outcomes. So it's going to be a great exercise. Uh, it'll be a great event for two days. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing people. Looking forward to some air hugs. Looking forward to um, uh, bumping elbows. And and I guess uh, if we need to cry on each other's shoulders, we will pantomime doing so from six feet apart. Um, so that's that's what's coming up for us. We've also announced, or we're we've we've soft announced um, that we're reading reading the tea leaves, reading the room about what's going to be possible for our members this fall. We're not going to do a big national summit this fall. We are going to do small regional leadership retreats, and we'll have more details coming out about that now. So if you're a partner interested in working with us this fall, um, you know, this is not the typical year where you book your year out in advance. So we understand that people are going to make decisions more last minute, and we're prepared for that, which is why we're going to do more regional stuff. We'll do one in Washington, uh, Finger Lakes, upstate New York, uh, in the sort of Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, Missouri region. And we'll do one in Georgia. Those are going to be between September and November. They'll be short. Uh, they'll be, I think, <clears throat> conducive to the kind of travel that, that our members are really going to be able to do during the school year versus, um, you know, I think three-day trips on weekdays out of district to faraway places are not really going to be an opportunity that most people will be able to take this year. Everyone's going to need to stay close to home. And so we're going to IEI is gonna gonna move around. We'll be a little roving band of, um, of uh, of of folks this year. So that's what's coming up for us. Um, this discussion with Dr. Koenig, I think you will enjoy. Howard's one of my favorite people I've met doing this. Um, Howard Koenig uh, has been a superintendent for over forty years. Um, he's been in the district central Islip. He's been there. I think this is his. I think he, he had three tours, two of them were back to back, one of them was real long, and then he was retired. Um, and then he came back to, uh, to, to steady, the, steady the district. And that's, that's a testament to, and those of you who know Howard know, uh, just how respected he is and just what a great 
soft-spoken but strong leader he is and testament to to Howard's leadership that he was brought back after retiring to the same district and uh, he's just he's had a a really good run and uh, he walked out of that district for the last time yesterday and uh, I look forward to what he's going to be doing next probably he's been a professor he's been a been a sort of mentor and so I'm sure he'll end up doing some good coaching work with the next generation of superintendents and uh, hope you enjoy the discussion with Howard as he reflects back on the on his career we're gonna real quick before we get to that interview I want to just sort of quickly do some uh, just some housekeeping with us around you know this time of year there are always lots of changes with our members so um, want to congratulate Howard Koenig for his Dr. Howard Koenig for his retirement Dr. Joseph uh, Jody Barrow from Fayette County Georgia announced his retirement <laughs> he's uh, going to be with them at least for a little bit of this school year and who knows we'll see how that goes but as they seek to find a replacement during these these challenging and uh, unpredictable times Jody has agreed to stay on, so he has officially, I guess, retired, but um, now is still in the district. So, you know, either way, uh, great, distinguished career, Jody. want to congratulate you, and, you know, if you are still in the district, we'd love to see you at IEI stuff this year. Um, Dr. Serena Shivers, who is superintendent of Redford Union School District in Michigan, is moving on this month to become the deputy executive director at MASA, the Michigan Association of School Administrators. Good luck with that position, Serena. Serena gave a, um, a workshop at our Palm Springs event on active shooter training and um, really excited for, for Serena's next step. Dr. Gustavo Balderas was this year's AASA Superintendent of the Year. Congratulations again, Gustavo. Well-deserved. Um, Gustavo is moving from Eugene, uh, public schools in Oregon up to Edmonds, Washington, suburb of Seattle, and joining it, we have a great, great group of um, of superintendents up in the Washington in the Seattle area, and really excited for Gustavo to to join them. I'm sure Eugene and Oregon will miss him. Dr. Marlon King, superintendent of Fayette County, Tennessee, uh, no longer uh, he moved as of yesterday from Fayette County, Tennessee, to the larger Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, or the Madison County Public Schools, which is uh, centered in Jackson, Tennessee. Good luck, Marlon, with this new adventure. Look forward to seeing you soon. And then uh, Marlon, uh, Dr. King, is on our advisory board, as is Mr. Steve Murley uh, from our advisory board. Advisory board moving from Iowa City Community School District in Iowa up to Green Bay. So it's he's moving from uh, from Big Ten to... NFC North, Green Bay Public Schools in Wisconsin. Good luck, Steve. Hope it's a good, hope it's a good move. Um, so, um, other than that, I want to announce a couple other things that happened this year. Dr. PJ Capozzi, our uh, member superintendent from Meridian CSD in Illinois. PJ uh, had his most recent book come out uh, in conjunction with Julie Davis and a couple other authors. Authors it's called Fully Charged Stories, Science, and Strategies. You can get it on Amazon. PJ spoken at our conferences and um, always a big hit. And our friend and former advisory board, Ms. Tracy Davis, is um, working on a number of, vent- of, of adventures right now. She's actually working in the Clark County School District, um, but also um, working as an equity consultant with Open Up Resources and some other folks. So I'm really glad to see Tracy's passion for this equity work, which began with her keynoting a workshop at our conference. I'm glad to see that she's she's able to continue that work, and we will continue to root for you and 
Hope you can be part of our discussions when it makes sense, Tracy. Good luck. Um, other than that, you know, just a quick recap of the year for IEI. It was an interesting year for us. For example, we learned how to do a podcast. Um, <laughs> and I started off this podcast uh, really not knowing what I was doing, and I still probably don't. But at least now I figured out how to buy a theme song and <laughs> put the the little, like, the header thing at the front and telling you what episode it is and all that stuff. And um, it's been it's been a good, uh, I will say, that just moment of personal reflection. I've had fun doing it. It's been great to have these interviews and talk to these people who whose work I respect so much. And, um, you know, it's been fun. So we'll keep doing it. We'll look for some changes potentially to, to how we do this. We'll, you know, as we head into this year, um, we'll be doing more work with our membership um, virtually and remotely. So some of that stuff can be captured and recorded and turned into podcast episodes. There'll be a lot of episodes that come out of the uh, July 24th symposium. So look forward to that. Um, the fall for us was spent really kind of going out and meeting, meeting a bunch of superintendents, um, recruiting for lack of a better word. We wanted to, to grow our, grow our, our network, meet more folks. Uh, we also wanted to, um, you know, double down on our commitment to the equity work in those discussions. Um, and, you know, focus on specifically trying to grow a membership that looks like the kids in public schools. And so, um, we spent, I, I was on the road personally about every week in the fall, got to go to the state superintendent gatherings in New York, Ohio, um, went to the, uh, Western Kentucky superintendents association. That was a really, a really great day. And that's not a lot of people, when people think about Kentucky, they think about, you know, Lexington, Louisville, um, Western Kentucky is its whole other, whole other ball game. It was great to be out there with those folks, with our good friends in Paducah, um, Donald Shively, Dr. Donald Shively, who's an IEI member and his deputy, Will Black. Uh, we got to meet a bunch of their colleagues, so that was really fun. Uh, spent some time in Phoenix um, talking with some superintendents about our group. So um, got to make make some rounds of, of state associations, which is always really interesting. Um, we were at the Council of Great City Schools in Louisville. Um, we were at NABSI in Dallas, hosted events at both those things. Was really glad to pick up new new folks in each of those places um our big uh the only the only summit we ended up having because of the pandemic was in palm springs in january and it was quite a gathering it was a really wonderful time um really good good folks good discussion we talked about school safety and security and um you know our largest gathering to date and you know i think back now about about that gathering and how the world has changed, but it was just, um, you know, the, uh, really great spot. And for those of us in cold climates, it was really nice to get to a warm, dry, warm, dry place. And, uh, ASA in San Diego, um, was a great event. The ASA folks always put on a great event and we got to see a lot of our, a lot of our partners and, and that was, um, and our, and superintendent members, that was probably the last, last real thing we all went to. Cause right. I was February, right after that things started to shut down. So, um, you know, the spring was spent sort of re-engineering, retooling, reinventing, figuring out how we can get folks together, figuring out how to navigate COVID, figuring out what, you know, what things will work virtually and what won't. Uh, we launched the new IEI Connect service, which we had been planning to launch anyway to meet a, meet a need in the marketplace for, um, for higher touch, lower investment, 
virtual connection opportunities. So I really I want to thank our members for embracing IEI Connect and doing these these short 25 minute Zoom meetings with partners. It's been I think a really good learning process for all of us this spring, and that'll be blended into the menu of stuff that we do next year. So the spring was, um, you know, it's been been tough for all of us. We've we've watched a lot of our members go through really tough things like outbreaks in their district and figuring out how to get uh, food to kids and figuring out how to deal with the most vulnerable kids who needed to be in school but couldn't be. Um, you know, for all the heartbreak that we've seen, there's also been just really amazing leadership and great stories of of uh, you know persevering and figuring out how to work through the challenges. So, um, you know, it's been a there's been some time, especially being grounded, being home. Haven't been on an airplane since February. Um, so that's been interesting and it's been great to spend more time with family, but also, you know, have more time for, for writing and thinking and, uh, and all that. So hopefully we can together come out of this stronger. That's, that's what I think is happening. So, um, looking forward to next school year, looking forward to the July 24th. If you're interested in more information on the symposium, it's www.reopenschoolswithequity.com July 24th, 25th, virtually free for any district leader. Virtual sponsorship still available uh, in Asheville, North Carolina is the in-person gathering and all those uh, in-person spots are spoken for. And um, we have the teaser I'll give you for the photo that's going to come out of that event is we ordered 100 uh, IEI logo masks. So we are going to be extremely careful with this event. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for a great first year on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends. Please do subscribe. Give us some stars. We appreciate it. And we will see you. We'll, we'll probably take the next week off from podcasting, maybe even two, but we'll be back at it um, you know, as soon as we get into the next academic year. Enjoy the 4th of July, and thank you. Good morning. Welcome back to the final episode of the season for Talk Soups and CEOs. Our first season, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored that we're going to close this season down with our friend, Dr. Howard Koenig, who is for another 48 hours, the superintendent of Central Islip Union Free School District on Long Island. Good morning, Dr. Koenig, how are you? Good morning, it's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. We, uh, we were supposed to see each other a couple weeks, a couple months ago in New Orleans, and uh, now we're just seeing each other on video, but you know, that's, that's the life we're living right now. Yeah, unfortunately, because I was really, really looking forward to getting back down to uh, the big easy. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, it was going to be a really nice time. So congratulations to you on a, a great career, um, on a, a, a well-deserved, we, was this retirement number three? From CI. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. CI being uh, Howard's district, Central Islip. Central Islip. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have a tendency to use initials. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah, no, the, the, there is this phenomenon for those unfamiliar with um, the life of superintendents. There is this phenomenon where districts need somebody and they convince somebody to come off retirement to come back and work because they need someone. It's such a hard job and it's better sometimes to get someone experienced to train the next person. And Howard, you've done that a couple of times, right? Absolutely. Yes, I have. Yeah. So what, take us back. How did you, how did you get into this, into education where, how did you as a young man decide this was for you? It's interesting because uh, um, it wasn't a conscious decision when I was a young person saying, man, when I 
get older and I go through college, I'm going to go into education and teach. And I was actually heading in a different direction. Um, I did my undergraduate work at uh, Queens College of the City University of New York. And uh, I majored in political science and minored in psychology. And my, my uh, focus was on international relations. And uh, I actually uh, went into, uh, I did a, a, a stint in law school. Oh, wow thinking that that sounds like a good idea. I could uh, yeah. become an attorney because I worked my way through college. Yeah. A court reporter. And oh, I, interesting. I used to watch the uh, attorneys at the trials and say, Oh, I don't believe you just asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when you said you were a court reporter, like you were taking the minutes a court stenographer. Yes. Yeah. With that little machine with the, with a little stenotype machine. Absolutely. Wow. And, uh, so it was, it was, um, that was the direction I was going in and yeah. having been, uh, um, the first member of my immediate family to go, uh, to graduate from college. And uh, yeah, sure. I was thinking that would, you know, this is cool. I, I like doing this kind of stuff, working with people and, and, um, what happened was the, uh, the law school after the first year. I was, uh, I was uh, president of my class and uh, hmm. the first freshman ever put on to the, the law school paper, newspaper. In fact, we yeah. fought, in those days, we fought to get uh, the JD degree instead of an LLB. Hmm. Because, you know, you do four years of graduate school and you get a second bachelor's degree. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> but we, we were involved in fighting that. Oh, interesting. And, uh, but at the end of the first year, all of my classmates were going to work for daddy, for uncle, for brother. They were all in the law business. Right. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do because I was married and I did. Yeah. Right. So someone said, why don't you uh, teach? And uh -huh. said, because I didn't take education courses when I took one education course in college and yeah. He said, well, what was your, what was your minor? I said, psychology. He said, bingo. Uh -huh. And it turns out that my psychology classes were child psych, adolescent psych, development. Oh, so they psych. counted. All the ones that counted in the New York City Board of Ed deemed me okay. I took the test, passed an interview, and got a license. Wow. And I can tell you this because, Doug, it's so, so true. The first day I walked into a classroom and started to teach. Yeah. I said, oh my God, I'm home. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's extraordinary. It's and where was this? This is in the DOE somewhere? This was, this was, no, this, this, say that again, I'm sorry. Your first teaching job was New York City DOE? Yeah, New York City Department of Education. I taught at IS61 in Corona, Queens, a six, seven, eight building, one of the yeah. pilot intermediate schools for New York City. Ah, interesting. And I, I mean, uh, we had a, uh, it's interesting because I started there in the, the late sixties, you should pardon the expression. <laughs> and, uh, the, the community I've worked with since 1991 central Islip, there's, a there's, a, a mirror between the two places. I started in a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, superb little school in Corona. Corona. Yeah. 
with kids that got so much out of what we were able to provide. Mm-hmm. And I spent the last years of my career <laughs> in Central Iceland with a very, very similar population. Yeah. And, you right. know, it's when you fall in love, you fall in love. Yeah. Well, uh, that is, that is fascinating. So when you were teaching, what, what brought, so you just, you just told law school, I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm a teacher now. Yeah. I basically, I basically, uh, left law school. Yeah. It just, I didn't, uh, I, I, it didn't hold the, 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 you weren't interested. No, the, the thing that I, I thought I would really like never happened. Yeah. Well, that's good. Got to follow your passion. So you taught for, a bunch of years. When did you, when did you get the bug that you might be uh, interested in, in educational leadership? How did, how did that happen? While I was teaching at IS 61, I, um, I was an assistant dean of students and uh, still teaching. I taught grade six and seven and eight. Um, And one of my colleagues was attending uh, grad school and getting a master's degree in administration. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, that sounds like interesting, you know. <laughs> um, and I was uh, elected uh, United Feder- UFT, the United Federation of Teachers Chapter Chairman. And we were a large, I mean, it was a, it was a large school. Sure. And that was my first involvement in kind of in, in the... Um, you know, the leadership operation of a school building within yeah. this business. And I liked it. Yeah. And so I, I applied for and was accepted to uh, NYU and did my master's in uh, educational administration with a uh, concentration in school finance at the time mm-hmm. um, at NYU. And... Uh, one of my professors called me and said, uh, I just spoke to the district superintendent in district 25, uh, pardon me, district 24. Mm-hmm. And uh, evidently he has an issue. His, his business administrator, who's a retired chief petty officer from the Navy, mm-hmm. was having difficulty and not in enjoying uh, it, in fact, uh, I was told they hadn't paid any bills in, in four months, oh my gosh. <laughs> but, and he said, he called this, this superintendent called this professor and said, what do you, what do you, I have to do something about this. What do you suggest? And he was one of my professors. He said, you have someone in the school district who just got his master's in school finance. And the right. next thing I know, the principal of my school called me in and said, why does the district superintendent want to see you? I said, I don't know if I didn't do anything. Right. And um, he said, well, he wants to see you this afternoon. I'm covering your classes. And I, I went over and met with him. And uh, next thing I know, I was the, uh, <laughs> I was the uh, school business administrator uh, uh, for the District 24 in New York City. Wow. That's and amazing. That, Far from the kids, though, right? In that, in that job, right? That, kind of... that kind of bothered me. That <clears throat> yeah, bothered right. Me. And uh, so I was doing that, and uh, I had an opportunity to, to move to uh, District 26, which is uh, 
how do I describe District 26? It's the closest thing to a suburban school district that New York City has. It's That's in Bay- Queens, right? Yeah, Bayshore, Fresh Meadows. Yeah, right. You know, it, it's, it's sort of Nassau County. Bayside, I didn't mean. Yeah. It, yeah, we, we boarded Nassau County. Right, yeah. Yeah. So I, they asked me if I would come over and do it there, and I did. Mm-hmm. And then NYU received a federal um, grant in a program called the uh, I was going to say AU. I'm reading the sign. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, they, they were putting out fields for people who would be interested in being a part of their doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And if you were selected, the federal grant paid your tuition. Oh, wow. And gave you a stipend of, I believe it was $15,000 a year, but you had to go full time. So you go to school full time? Full time. So I went to school full time. I was successful. I got one yeah. of the spots. You left, you left the DOE. Well, ID, I, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the right. federal program it's a long time ago but and uh, I went to school full-time during the day and on days when I didn't have a class I was subbing in back in the classroom oh wow 26 oh wow subbing it worked your way through your doctoral program right and it I I completed my doctorate uh, and uh, all my classwork and they and the the federal government paid for it, which was very good because I was married and had, I think, yeah, both kids were born at that point. Both kids were born. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so were you were you? Um, then I you also was very wise in that I married a a a, a beautiful woman from the Bronx mm-hmm. who was a teacher. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I the education just surrounded our house. Yeah, yeah, and. Marrying up is always a good thing. I'm, I'm a big Absolutely. fan. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so out of NYU, did you get the first superintendent job? How did that work? No, out of NYU, um, I, re- I, was, uh, I was recommended for um, a position to interview for a position at the Harborfield Central School District in Greenlawn and Centerport. Long Island yes. as assistant superintendent for administration and personnel. Okay. And I, I interviewed and went there in 1974. So you started in Harbor Fields in 74. In 1974 okay. and spent 10 years That's in great. that position. I did yeah. all, I did all the grant writing. I, I, when I went there, by the way, one of the reasons they wanted me when I went there, the, uh, the business uh, official had had a heart attack oh, God. and the superintendent knew my background from NYU. And he said, if you, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to, in, a, in addition to handling personnel, because that was the main part of my job, would you also run the business office for us? So I did that for a half a year or so. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, you went to centralize it the first time. Mm-mm. No. No, then I I, uh, I was in Harbor Fields for ten years, and uh, um, superintendents had. I was on my second superintendent, the first one yeah. uh, that hired me uh, retired, and another one was hired, and I was working with him, and uh, 
someone said to me, you know, um, East Meadow is uh, doing a superintendent search. You ought to put your papers in there and see. Mm. It's a good experience. I did. It clicked, and I was in East Meadow as my first superintendent. That was your first one. Okay. And yeah. I went there in 1983. So spent some time. For those unfamiliar with the area here, uh, and Howard and I live like 10 minutes from each other. True. Uh, actually, with Harborfield School District sandwiched between <laughs> where we live. Um, uh, yeah, we, we have two counties here, and East Meadow would be in Nassau County, which is closer to the spot in Queens where you started your career. And they have very different cultures. I've spent a lot of time with the superintendents in both places. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting to, for those of you who've gone back and forth. You know, it's a very different, um, you know, Suffolk County is a little more, you have these smaller districts, there's a little more kind of rural feel in a lot of the districts. And Nassau County is really, it's, it's got that kind of city energy, I right. think, you know, I would, I would describe. No, I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Great work happening in, in both places. And now you're finishing up in CI. Um, there was something in between. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so East Meadow, um, what, when, when you showed up the first, you said that when you went in to teach the first time, you felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. When you showed up in East Meadow the first day as the boss, as the superintendent, did you feel like this is, this is the right fit? This is what I'm supposed to be doing? I, I, uh, within the first week, uh, I was in my office at East Meadow High School, which is where the office used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking around the room. It, it was a lovely place. And I said, I looked up and I said, what in the Lord's name did you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, it's when you it's and i've heard this from an assistant principal who went into a principalship mm-hmm. said i figured you know well i've been an assistant you know i just there is a definite difference in being um in the cabinet as an assistant and then moving into the desk that the decisions are really made yeah it's, being being where the buck stops is is a heavy thing yep um what, what, as you look back, what, um, what's one of the hardest decisions you had to make? And, you know, let's talk about a positive one, a hard, really tough decision you had to make that was absolutely the right call in the long run. Oh, there, yeah. Those tough decisions go across the board in terms of area. For example, when we had the, uh, the uh, cyclical times when they decide, oh, by the way, we can't give you the aid that you thought you were going to get. Uh And you're trying to figure out all these wonderful programs that, you know, you were involved in developing and that the kids were just, the students were flourishing in that you have to now say, all right, which one stays and which one goes. Yeah. Or you're looking at staff and you're saying, oh my God, we have to, we have to cut back. We have no choice. We haven't got the funds to support this faculty. Yeah. Those kinds of decisions are the toughest ones. Sure. But, you know, if you do them in a way that involves the staff, involves the community, where everybody has a sense of, we know we have to do it, but we're going to move forward and get to where we can return to where we were as quickly as possible. Yeah. As tough as they are, you did the right thing. Mm -hmm. I know superintendents who have said, well, you know what? I'll be leaving in two or three years. 
I'm not going to, I'm going to be the hero. I'm not going to raise taxes. I'm going to do anything I want. And they go and they totally dry their fund balance and their reserves up yep. to keep tax rate down and stuff like that. And then they leave and they smile. Right. Or, or someone said he, he left the district the way he arrived, fired with enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, then someone else has to some other board and other board raise and the taxes. Whoever follows you has to yeah. figure out now what do I do? Right, because the kids need programs. Or um, if, if if a boiler goes down, I no longer have the resources. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. And in those days, we didn't have the property tax levy cap, so we could go go to the community. You go to the community and ask, right? Yeah. Now they, you have to pierce oh, it. Yeah. Um, no, nothing to pierce. Yeah, right. Back then, no you could pass. just yeah. The voters voted; it, it passed, and you went on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's been What's been one of your your favorite things about uh, about the last couple of years in CI? What's What's something where where you felt like you know this is this has been a good run? Um, well, I got to CI in nineteen ninety one. Right. Ten years later was retirement one. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> but um i came back for two as an interim and then this this run that's ending now the four-year run was mm -hmm. not an interim it was it right was you were the guy run. again right yeah but the, i think the fact that i made it a very early time made a decision that if you're going to know what's going on in your school district you have to be out in your school district mm -hmm. you cannot sit in your office and have people come in and say, this is what's going on. You say, thank you. They go, and you never get up. Right. So over the years, I have gotten to, to know my, my faculty very well. And personally, you know, um, I walk into the building. Um, the youngsters know who the superintendent is. So the connection that you make with the community with the kids, with the staff. Yep. That's what makes this, and I, you heard me say this, in, when I went to Central Islip, something bit me. Mm -hmm. And I went, mm -hmm. oh my God, what is that? And the doctor said, whatever it is, it's incurable. But that's the beauty of it. Central Islip, that family, that yeah. community is incurable, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. And you will, you will be remembered, and I'm sure they'll call you this is this is a bizarre time to be running a school district. So I'm sure, knowing you, part of you probably wishes you were sticking around to kind of solve these problems. You're not one to walk away from a challenge, but at the same time, it might also be nice to just get a phone call and be asked to help. And you know, maybe you can spend some time reading a book or something, right? Yeah, as the board president said to me when he called me in 2016, the board asked me to get in touch and ask you if you would be willing to come back cause, but not as an interim. And right. I said, I said, Norman, my God, not as an interim. I have to think about that. Yes. <laughs> it's great. It's great. No, this, this will be, you know, this is, this is a time for, this is a time when, when we, when district leaders need wisdom because no one's ever seen this before and creativity, wisdom, listening, all these great skills that so many of you have. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts for, for your colleagues who are gonna be in the jobs on July 1? 
how, how, what advice do you have for them to get, to get their districts and their communities and their students through this in one piece and hopefully with some kids learning something? Well, one thing I've told everyone, I say, and I've been doing this long enough so I can do that. Sure. <laughs> we are very fortunate to have the, the, a lot of the folks that are in our chairs stay in touch. You know what they've said all through this pandemic? We're in this together and we'll get through this together. That is not only the pandemic. That's also the ancillary financial and other kinds of problems that have come down on schools and on students and on our communities. Yeah. Don't ever forget that we're in this together and we'll get through it together. And if you try to go through solo, because mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, maybe you were on the mountain and saw Moses get the tablets. <laughs> I don't, you know, but you have to rely on the, the, the combined wisdom of your colleagues and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the shamans who went through it and now are just uh, yeah. willing to help. Yeah. Shaman Koenig. <laughs> um, I have a, a sort of question that I don't think either of us is going to have a good answer to right now, but I think it's worth bringing up because we're both Long Islanders. Uh, we both have kids who went through these systems. You've worked in them. My wife works in one of them. Um, and you're the superintendent of, of Central Islip. We've been talking a lot in the last few months about structural racism and the, you know, on the island, you know, we, we have literal structures, boundaries of assembly districts, senatorial districts, school districts, communities that are, you know, it seems set up. If you look in, if you do any research on Robert Moses and how he set up all these parkways that we drive around, um, there, there seems our, our region seems to be set up with with at least pieces of structural racism. And I would, I would argue that, you know, the way the school districts are so segregated yet they can be, you know, just across a, a highway from each other. Um, so, I think we can all probably agree that there are elements of that. And I don't know how you fix that, but I do note that the response, I'm not seeing individual districts around here develop their plan for responding to the pandemic. It seems that there is a regional kind of response. It seems that the soups and the boards and the states are all working together. So my question is, if a pandemic gets a countywide response, why do we have walls built between communities in the county around their school districts. Why isn't CI part of the other islips? Why aren't the Babylons merged? Why are, are Northport, Dix Hills, and Wyandanche and Comac not merged? If we can have a county response to a pandemic, should we also have a county response to educating our kids? And wouldn't our kids all be better off if they went to school together somehow, um, you know, not have communities that are so segregated? I testified on this in Washington <laughs> no, exactly. See? years ago, but it, yeah. it has to, well, it's, it's not only um, structural racism, which unfortunately exists in many, many, too many places, but it has to do with the way um, we, we're always going to have a NIMBY mentality in, sure. in anywhere because, you know, when you want to, you, I have been involved when I was on the faculty at NYU. We had mm -hmm. 
we had done studies and looked at the possibility of merging districts for right. economic reasons and and many yeah. other reasons. Yeah. Instead of having two small districts that can't provide, having right. a medium-sized district that can provide. Right. But then you get the, you want us to merge with them? Yeah. And the them goes very often in both ways. But the yeah. bottom line is, um, it seems to me that there's a change going on in this country right now yeah. that perhaps can make what you're asking about and what I think about a lot possible. Yeah. As, uh, the, 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 as part of uh, the BET show last night. Uh, oh, the awards, yeah. Didn't yeah, see the it, award but... show. Um, they, they were running a commercial about um, the talk mm -hmm. where, you know, a black parent is having a talk, the talk with their child about, you know, you know, if something goes down like this, this is what you have to do. Don't, you know, don't. Yeah. And it's the talk. We have to get to a place where the talk is not necessary. Right. Why should we have to have the talk? Or, or that kid can have the same talk that my parents had, which was, yeah, don't do anything wrong and you won't have to deal with the police. <laughs> and that was it. There's no, you know, if, even if you do, even if you're not, I always grew up knowing that if I did the right thing, I would be safe. And yes, that's not no, the case for a lot of Americans. And that's, that's very true. That's, that's crazy. crazy. That is not the case for a lot of Americans. So. And I live in a community where, um, where we're a multi-ethnic, multi-racial community. I said where I live because this is so much my home. Yeah. yeah. But um, this community is extraordinary in its 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 heart and its ability to rise to the occasion when part of the community is in trouble or has a mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. They are incredibly generous, yeah. incredibly helpful, and incredibly loving. So, and and for people who are unaware, you can Google this. That while you were superintendent there, horrible thing happened to a couple of local kids. Yes, a couple was two kids were found in a park, right? Those were well, yeah. That was in in. It was actually three. One was a visitor. Yeah, that was a gang related thing. And then you have horrible. the thing with the. Uh, the two girls in Brentwood. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the uh, community's been through a lot. Oh God. Yes. And uh, uh, I was friendly because of us both appearing on panels and we both testified before the Homeland Security Committee when they did a hearing mm -hmm. at Toro Law School. I'm talking mm -hmm. about Evelyn Rodriguez mm -hmm. who was the mother of Kayla Cuevas, one of the girls who was yeah. a kid. And uh, and she ended up, you know, being uh, killed in an automobile incident. Oh my! Um, and she was a spectacular woman. But you know, there, there these things happen. But yeah, they shouldn't. But I I would think part of leadership, especially in times like this, empathy, such a big part of leadership, right? 
for you yeah. leading that school system. Yeah. And, and you know, you're not just a name on the outside, you know, on the, the list of the outside the central office. Mm -hmm. If you are just a name, then you're missing a huge opportunity. Yeah. When uh, we had some people down from the state education department that we were going through the high school and, uh, and I was showing them some of the things we have going, you know, we have, uh, our our show choir concert choir sweet adeline's our music program is yeah it is beyond belief spectacular yeah um and we were we were we were heading down one of the hallways and as we're going down the kids are going by hi dr coney you know we're going so the guy from sed said to me what how do the kids know who you are <laughs> guy from the state education department I mean, yeah. yeah he said to me how, i mean your office yeah. not in this building, yeah. Because I'm here all the time. Yeah. You're not a name on the building, and I, I I interact with these kids. I go into their classrooms. I do those kinds of things. Yeah, good for and you. And that's when, if we need something from those kids, that fast. Yeah. Well, yeah. There, when you walk out of there tomorrow, you will you will still not be just a name, uh, even though some may not meet you in person. But I hope you have a great last two days there and um, a great beginning to the next chapter. And I know we're, we'll be staying in touch and I look forward to next time we can see you. But in the meantime, have a great socially distanced retirement fet, whatever that's going to be. <laughs> and uh, best to you and your wife and enjoy the summer. And thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Season one's in the books of this, this podcast journey. Uh, really just enjoy I enjoy Howard Koenig. I'm really glad he he became part of our group here at the end of his career. And um, I wish him the best. Wish all of you the best. Have a great 4th of July. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends. Please subscribe. Give us some ratings. And uh, be safe. Wear a mask. We'll see you next academic year.